0: History 101. So credit. All right. What's up, guys? It's Fred, and I'm coming to you solo today. And what we're going to do is uh, kind of what I have decided to call the 2017 wrap-up. Um, By now, you're probably inundated with Game of the Year discussions and debates about minutiae you never even thought about. Maybe people picking it down on a a low tier level. Well, you know what? I think the reason people do Game of the Year discussions is a couple of things. Um, And I figured that this would be a good way to look back at the year... Uh, Yeah, I'll get into my discussion in a second, but it's a good way to look back at the year, but not go, okay, here's a list of all the games that came out, because I have that. That's fine. You can look at that if you want to. And it's also a time to kind of reflect on what gaming is doing as a whole. You know, me at Gaming History 101 and Jam and all of us, we, we like to kind of look at it with retrospect. And we have this rare ability right now to look at the current year, with uh, you know surprisingly sharp retrospect, you know, uh, and again this this may change five years from now, you know hindsight's always twenty twenty, but I thought it'd be a good time to sit down and analyze what really twenty seventeen meant to gaming. Uh, now, <clears throat> going back to what I was saying about game of the year discussions, game of the year discussions I think are popular because of two things. One, it's a great litmus for what you missed. Right, if you decided that you weren't going to get to it doesn't really matter. Let's uh, let's pick something. Destiny 2. If everybody's talking about it on Game of the Year, suddenly you're like, hmm, maybe I should go back to Destiny 2. And in that same regard, if no one's talking about it, then you're like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't go back and play Destiny 2. You know, it kind of allows you... <clears throat> As the year comes to a close, you've gotten all your Christmas money, all the sales are still going on, it's ridiculous to me how I'm recording this on New Year's Eve, um, which is probably when you're downloading and listening to it, or on New Year's Day, um, and I can still get most of the games super cheap. And so I think it's that. It's also a time for you to appreciate uh, the games you did play, right? I've always said this, gamers are extremely fickle. We are immediately regretting every purchase we've ever made the moment we make it, right? The second the game is in your hand, and especially after you crack the seal on that or start that download, you immediately say to yourself, mm, "Maybe, maybe I made the wrong decision." Oh, and and I think you're most critical of a game in that first hour after you've purchased it. Um, so, a lot of people like game of the year discussions because they're like, you know what? I played the right games, Uh uh-huh, right? You know that self-effacing thing? Some of you are probably nodding your heads right now. Yeah, yeah, these were all the games on the Game of the Year discussion, so who cares whether or not I appreciated them? I made the right decisions. Well, friends, there is no right decisions, and as you'll see in today's discussion, um, you may be surprised as to what I think about a lot of the games that came out this year that are getting lots of massive praise. And again, this won't be critical. In fact, I feel pretty confident that this is a good balance of good and bad Uh, but it's definitely got the Fred Rojas spin in a way that I almost prefer that I'm doing this solo right now uh, purely because it gets to be unfiltered and Solely from my perspective. Although Jam and anybody else out there, if you're listening and you want to do something like this for a year in review, you've got a week. Let's let's get it going. I I will gladly host the podcast. Uh, no, I don't mean. Sorry, I will gladly host the server space for the podcast and distribute it out. I will not be a host on the podcast <laughs> anyway. Um, so so there's that, and, and I think the last part is y- there are games you inevitably are going to miss. Maybe you don't have a Switch, so none of the games that people are talking about on the Switch, which had a pretty banner year as we'll get into... Um, Maybe you don't have one, so you can go by proxy and listen to these Game of the Year discussions and see the videos and things like that, and you can experience them in a way that's mostly akin to, like, reading retro magazines. Like, if you go read Nintendo Power, I never got to all the Nintendo games, still have never gotten to all the Nintendo games, despite owning pretty much my, my golden list of what I want from the NES. Um... But thanks to video game magazines, I got to see screenshots, I got to read articles, I got to read reviews, perspectives, and Game of the Year discussions that allowed me to, you know, kind of by proxy experience those games. So I think that's the reason why. And I think that's why this will be great. Um... uh, a great discussion point I don't we'll see how my delivery goes (laughs) it's it's been rocky so far also mild apologies I'm a little congested and my voice is going a little bit uh beardy on the future monkey said it best this this holiday season seems to have the cold that you can't get rid of right you can't kick it either I sleep like in a colder room for a day or I have a couple beers and go to bed and wake up the next morning because I've been off and suddenly I'm a little sicker and I don't know if that has anything to do with it but you you know it's definitely been a time where mostly what I'm doing is drinking coffee, tea, hot cocoa and sitting around playing video games which I couldn't be more thankful of. Um, so this discussion is, uh, is going to be about just overall gaming in review. If you want, if you want a recommendation get a pen and paper ready um, or have one by your side because I'm going to mention a lot. A lot of games and I'm gonna mention them kind of on the fly I will be sure as you can see right now like if I'm normally going off sometimes you can hear my voice will start to get excited or move quickly or things like that I will be sure every time I mention a game to slow it down so I will say Double Dragon 4 maybe not ridiculously slowed down but I will definitely accentuate the name of the game when I'm bringing it up I do apologize though in the heat of the moment, I'm sure I'm going to list off a couple of games and just screw this whole goal of letting you know what games to t- to, to pick up is all about. Um, the last thing uh, that I'd like to say is definitely um, that... Uh, eh. I lost it there. Oh, sorry, is the reason why this is a podcast. I had said there was going to be some content going live, and Chase was the one who I was specifically talking to at the time, and he didn't call me on it. Um, Nothing went live, and that's because I had this week off, and I was totally planning on writing a bunch of stuff and doing a bunch of captures. Well, due to some issues with my Framemeister, which is what I bought, I bought a nice little scaler, and the need to capture things at 60 frames a second in 1080p, I had to get a new capture card as well. And there were some problems. Suffice to say, those will reconcile themselves early into the year because I've officially bought uh, the Framemeister directly from Japan, directly from uh, Solaris Japan, who does distribution for the Framemeister. And um, my capture card is coming directly from from it. Um, and uh, it, it's it's not great for streaming, but it's, which I wouldn't stream at 1080p60 anyway. It's hard to keep up with those speeds. I'm seeing that more and more. Um, my internet can hang, but most people who are watching can't. So 720p seems like the sweet, pot, sweet spot for streaming. Uh, and I won't be doing much streaming anyway and uh, 1080p is obviously 1080p 60 is how I want to capture all footage now, retro or otherwise. Um, so I need to get some hardware. The second problem was I my daughter was also off and my wife only works three days a week. I say only, she's a full-time worker. But just to give you a little insight into my life, They were around a lot, which is good. I like that. I like them being around a lot. But I planned to go write an article all the time, and I never got to it. And I also planned to write late at night, but you know what? My best writing wasn't coming out great. The other thing was I was editing the hell out of myself. And so I had seven kind of partial articles that were all ready to go and never did. So then I said, why don't I take those seven articles and do a quick, like, hour-long discussion podcast? And here you go. So I don't know how this is going to go. This is all off the cuff, but it does have notes and it has pretty <laughs> decent amount of notes. And I think we should talk about 2017. So, um, all right, without further ado, let's dive into it. So first thing I definitely want to talk about is uh, January. Yes, January. Lots of things actually came out in January and I feel like they were vehemently, um, almost criminally ignored um, for better or worse, I, I don't know whether or not I, I would like these things. But um, just to give you a quick rundown the games that come to mind that came out January. Uh, Gravity Rush 2. Dragon Quest 8 on the 3DS. Kingdom Hearts HD 2.8 Final Chapter Prologue. Which, to my understanding, is just an HD remake of the 3DS game Dream Drop Distance with some extras. Um, Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. Yes, that was this year. Tales of Berseria... Yakuza 0 and Double Dragon 4. Yeah. Also, a fun little indie title that snuck out was Rise and Shine. Um, Super hard game, but super cool. Um, Anyway, these games, I feel like, always get overlooked, right? Because they're January. It's kind of the same reason why the Oscars, you know, you don't do... um, You you release stuff right before the Oscars, but never right after. Um, And I don't think they're getting their fill, um on uh on on a lot of the game of the year discussions or even nominations it's kind of sad um but the one I'd like to talk about is the one I actually played I'd heard really good things about Yakuza 0 I think the fans of Gravity Rush liked Gravity Rush 2 I wasn't so much of a fan of Gravity Rush it kind of held my the original held my interest for half of the time um and uh I know those that picked up Dragon Quest Eight are loving re-experiencing that Kingdom Hearts yada yada. The one I want to talk about is Resident Evil Seven: Biohazard. So this this is incredible It's an incredible game, um, but it's the thing that should not be. It had everything kind of going against it. First of all. It's a Resident Evil game in 2017. I'm sorry. Yes, us fans, great. But I feel like a lot of the fans just want the remakes. Oh, how many times when I was looking up some coverage on this did I see, um, not from the games press. The games press kind of stayed away from Resident Evil 7 outside of giving it relatively good praise when it came out. Um, But all the videos and YouTubers and commenters are all like, well, what I really want is Resident Evil 2's HD remake, but in the meantime, you know, 7's right. You know, things like that. They all talk about how 7 is the potential for remakes of the originals, which just tells me these people are kind of trapped in the past, and maybe to a certain extent I am as well. These people who, like, are what is a Resident Evil fan in 2017? I don't even know, you know? Um, So it gives me pause. Uh, It's also a horror game. It's also a first-person horror game. Um, so right off the bat, I think that's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. Um, Resident Evil's never been a first-person game. Um, that uh, opening hour demo felt a lot like PT, so it kind of felt like they were ripping off you know, that, that canceled uh, project between Kojima and whatnot. And um, it... It was, uh, the the plot was really not talked about, so it kind of felt a little bit Texas Chainsaw with like the the morbid family in the woods, but we didn't really know what was going on. Um, It had VR support, which, I'm sorry, that's just kind of like, that's kind of like a red flag. Uh, Not that it has VR support, but that a game that's coming out outside of VR is also supporting VR. Um, That's usually not a good sign. It should either be designed for VR or not. Uh, Next of all, it was, um, again, the the horror thing holds a lot of people back. People are hesitant, especially in first person, to play horror games. Kind of like going through a haunted house. People don't like to be scared, which is weird for me because I'm weird. I love to be scared. If I'm filling my drawers, then it's a good time for me. Like, I love to get just the shit scared out of me. Um, oh, fair warning. I may swear from time to time here. It's an open discussion. Um, then moving on um you know again where does resident evil 7 7 in in 2015 or in 2017 um and then the last part is it seemed to have everything right really good graphics 1080p 60 on all consoles HDR support, even on PC, when like nothing, I think, uh, what is it, Shadow Warrior 2 supported HDR, but that was it up to this point. 4K support, PS4 Pro support, it seemed like they were kitchen sinking it, right? Oh, yeah, we'll cover everything. And what we got was an amazing game. Resident Evil 7, outside of everything else, is an amazing game. People love it. It's a technical showpiece that 1080p 60s on the Xbox One, PS4, and PC with ease in a time where nobody's doing that everybody's having trouble still hitting that 60 frames a second mark it has HDR and it nails it everywhere I played it on PC and HDR on a 4k TV like that just doesn't happen and I hear the support is incredible on uh, the X I can't speak to that I did play it on Pro though I played the game a second time on Pro or at least started it and again just dazzles and looks great. Um, The pro support's good. It uh, increases the resolution, does dynamic scaling, which is something we've all been asking for. The campaign's good. That plot goes some places, man. And I know a lot of you didn't like that back third. I thought it was okay, you know, but they they had to do something with it. Um, And just the fact that it's a first person kind of almost reimagining of the original game, but without forgetting kind of the roots that four brought in. It's this weird hodgepodge that in like an alternative reality where the team behind Resident Evil 1 and 4 kind of got together and made some hybrid game in first person. Uh, those that played it in VR loved it in VR. like the game just delivered on all fronts. And again, the big caveat no one can get over is, do you like playing horror first-person games? If the answer is no, this game is probably not for you. but outside of that, I am thoroughly impressed with how strongly this game delivered. And I just, you know, and, and maybe it'll be my game of the year. You'll have to wait for the ball gaggies. I don't even know yet. At this point, I'm just narrowing down my my top 10, and I haven't even gotten there. Um, it's definitely on my top 10. Um, but I have to say, Resident Evil 10 just delivered in spades, and it's criminal that it was mostly dismissed just straight across the board. Um, so, yeah. Fun fact, Resident Evil 7, a game so good on our final episode, I bought it for Jam Live on the air. Uh, I highly recommend it for those that know what they're getting themselves into. And if you don't, I'm sure plenty of people more interesting than me have done Let's Plays. <laughs> uh, all right, moving on. Uh, this was also the year where game difficulties became kind of a bullshit topic. Um, I, I, I found this, uh, and, and there, this was uh, both in video games press, but also with you gamers out there, with all you little gamers out there that are playing games alongside me. um, Sometimes I feel like people have lost sight in 2017 of the fact that games used to not be completely beatable. Um, Hell, half of my Nintendo collection, I've never seen the end of. And people will say, oh, I've beaten it with save states. Well, save states weren't how they were designed. And people are like, well, I just have more fun when I'm not playing it on hard. Well, that's fine. And I'm not sitting here telling you you should play on the hardest difficulty or that you should even seek out difficult games. By all means, you play games the way you want to. The reason difficulties exist on games is to allow people to make those decisions. But taking a step back, I take issue with people who are criticizing difficult games, a game being difficult is a decision by only the developer. And I think in 2017, and this has probably been growing for the last like five or so years, gamers have forgotten that they don't design games. That you get what the developer gives you. Now, you totally have the choice whether or not you want that. And I'm sure there's somebody out there who is like banging the table, who's like, Fred, but like, I bought this game and it it turned out to be something it wasn't and I can't get my money back, right? That's always been the big crux of this stuff, which hopefully that'll start to go away. There are ways to get your money back, but the problem is for every one guy who honestly wants his money back, there's a dozen guys who just want to just ruin the system. Um, But uh But yeah, I feel like people are criticizing tough games. Uh, Most notably, I don't know if you recall this, folks, but Zelda Breath of the Wild just attacked left and right. People could not stop talking about how difficult it is. And it's funny because you go back to it now, now that it's hitting all the Game of the Year's and everybody loves it so much. Breath of the Wild, greatest game ever made. Yeah, well, maybe it's because you have a Switch and nothing else. Sorry, little snark. It's not to say Breath of the Wild is not a great game, but... It's difficulty is not a problem. Any person who can walk up to Ganon and beat it in 40 minutes uh, will will prove that to you. Second of all, it is the difficulty that was given. You just need to accept it. Many, 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 many people made it through. In fact, a majority of people who start the game beat it. So obviously difficulty wasn't overbearing. And maybe you need to just take a step back and realize that difficulty is there for a reason. And maybe the designers, whether they were short-sighted or not, had a plan. Um, the next one I go into is Cuphead. Yeah, I, I get it. Cuphead looks great. Everybody wants to play it. It even seems suitable for kids. And then there's that side note that I hear only from adults, which is that games for kids shouldn't be tough. Are you kidding? Are those of you here retro gamers? Yeah, they are. Some of the hardest games in the world are, 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 are kids games. And, and more importantly... Like, go go play The Lion King on the Super Nintendo. Yeah, come back and talk to me about that. How about even Aladdin? Um, and and, and the, the list goes on and on. One of the favorite games of all time, Contra. Super hard game. Yeah, sure, people did the 30-man code. But still, super hard game. People love Gradius. That's a one-life game. If you die in Gradius, you have to start over. I don't know. I just take issue with it. Especially because I played with my my, my, uh, my sister, my daughter. And she has more patience for Cuphead than even I do. So those of you who are adults who think like, oh, the poor kids, you're really just whining because Cuphead was not what you wanted and more difficult than you expected. But to be fair, everybody was warning you. And I was definitely beating the drum going, hey, Cuphead is a hard game, prep yourself. So I think if you went into it and didn't realize that was going to happen or even didn't realize what the game was, you really weren't paying much attention. Same thing goes for, uh, da, 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 sorry, let me look at my, my list here, uh, Wolfenstein 2. People were attacking Wolfenstein 2. It was so hard. And I'm going to pick on one person a little bit here. AV Club's Matt Garrardi. I'm sorry, man. Like, you wrote that whole thing about how Wolfenstein 2 is like kind of a poorly designed game, and you're entitled to your own opinion, and how it was so much better to play it on easy, and yet I went back and looked at your stuff, and you love Dark Souls. Ooh, you really love Dark Souls. You really I mean, you can critically look at it. You, you do a balanced job at covering Dark Souls. You're not a fanboy. But why is it okay for Dark Souls to do it and not okay for Wolfenstein to do it? I don't know. I, I, I'm really taking issue with people not liking difficulty, especially because Wolfenstein gives you oh so many difficulties. I'm sorry if you don't like that the little icon has a baby's rattle in your mouth and you're all upset about it. But at the end of the day... Get over it, man. They made the difficulty there so you could do exactly what you wanted to do. And maybe to a certain extent that is what he did. So maybe I'm picking on him too much. All he says is drop it down to the easiest difficulty because that's a true way to experience it. I disagree. The cakewalk of Wolfenstein 2 really downplays the gameplay in a game that is really kind of balanced across all fronts as a solid game from both a story and a gameplay perspective. The other thing that's surprising, though, is in a year where Cuphead, Wolfenstein, and a couple other games, even Breath of the Wild, are getting slammed on. Meanwhile, the Surge and Neo, which (gasps) kinda Dark Souls clones. Beloved, the formula hasn't changed. We can take a lot of the skills we had in the Soulsborne series, and we can adapt them to the Surge and Neo. Therefore, it's okay. Well, friends... Is the game really hard if you have to play it a certain way and you've played it a certain way so much that it actually follows a pattern that you then manipulate in order to enjoy it? I don't know. I think people are going to have to take a good long look at what they think about difficulties. As for me, I just accept a game for face value. It is as hard as the designers wanted it to be and I have really no say in it. And I think people should think about that. So kind of side note, Take the game for what it is. You don't have to like it and you definitely don't have to buy it and you sure as hell don't have to play it but you need to take the game for what it is. I was in a GameStop the other day. This guy was talking and he goes, yeah, I got a buddy who was a beta tester for Destiny 2 and now he's on Anthem which first of all, I doubt that's true. I don't know if Anthem's quite at the spot where they're beta testing it. I don't think it's in beta form but whatever and he goes, yeah, and he gets to like tell them what to change and usually they change it. Also, don't think that's true but Assuming it is, the and, and and everybody in line who was talking to him were like nodding their heads like, yeah, yeah, all right, yeah. And he goes, yeah, finally they get to listen to us. I'm sorry, guys. Armchair developers, you should not be, we should not design games. And if we should design games, go make one. But in the meantime, the games that we get are the games that we get. And you should really be good with what you're given. Um, and so, a little side note on that. Anyway, why don't we get a little more positive and look at... Nintendo. It was definitely a banner year for Nintendo. So first of all, they launched their new console. The Switch comes out in March. um, And it launches with a great surprise. A game I don't think anyone was expecting this early. Zelda Breath of the Wild, right? It was the ongoing debate. It was the easiest decision to launch with that game. But it was also the toughest thing to pull off and people weren't sure if they wanted to get a switch you know switch was kind of a, a scary thing to buy at onset especially coming out of uh, coming off of the wii u but you know right there in march it's fantastic they released breath of the wild which is a great game everybody enjoys it I've played it twice now up to about the 20 hour point thoroughly enjoyed it um I kind of fell off of it while everybody was uh, was falling off of other games and going into Zelda. I was the opposite. I fell off of Zelda and went into other games. Um, but I you know again it 's a rock solid game, and it, it changes the formula and it is an impressive amount of systems all working together in ways that even bethesda 's Skyrim studios and fallout studios couldn 't quite nail so good for them. Um, it also came out on the Wii U, and a lot of people don't talk about it, but for those Wii U owners that weren't ready to make the jump to the Switch, it was great to see they got pretty much the exact same game developed per, you know, ideally and runs quite well on the Wii U um, with very little degradation to the picture quality. I, I didn't notice much of a difference myself going on to the Switch version versus the Wii U, um, other than in the, in the portable version, obviously. Um, but on top of that, You've also got just uh, in in March just uh, a bunch of decent launch games. Uh, actually, I take it back. No, the launch games were kind of rough. Uh, Bomberman wasn't great. Uh, Clips was good. Um, and uh, and I, I didn't I didn't think that uh, the Ultra Street Fighter II was a good idea. But anyway, um, but then what starts happening is until the big releases, because in the in the fall we get some decent releases. But was the Switch just became this home of a Great world of indie digitals and non indie digitals, and I think that's fantastic. So, I bought a lot of indie games on the Switch this year. Uh, A lot of these games I'll talk about a little bit later, but like Sonic Mania, uh, The Mummy Demastered, um, I Am Setsuna, um, let's see. trigger switch or whatever um anyway basically if it was a multi-platform game and i could get it on the switch oh uh wonder boy the dragon's trap um you know if, if it was a game that i could get on the switch i i digitally over other places i did um Uh, and then there were even like exclusives. Mighty Gunvolt Burst was fantastic. Um, I'm actually waiting for Ukulele on the Switch, which did come out. It's just, it's a high price point. I'm going to wait for that to, to come down a little bit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was just a really good place to buy your indie stuff. People were rebuying indie stuff like Shovel Knight. Um, Hamster got in there and started doing the arcade classics. There's tons of Neo Geo fighting games on the Switch, which is a good place to play it. Um... And Nintendo is even releasing some of its digital releases uh, of its arcade games, like Versus Super Mario Brothers, uh, which just came out. Um, but uh, but yeah, th- there were just a lot of great digital games on the Switch. Uh, and then let's not forget the other games that hit later. So Strip, yeah, I see you in the back. Splatoon 2, right? Am I right? Didn't care for the game, but those that do love it. Splatoon 2 has been something of an anomaly on the switch and it is a fantastic shooter that the whole world that like everyone can play and it's got people hooked and i think that is fantastic i think that is exactly what you want the switch to do and you can do it on the go or at home um super mario odyssey was i mean come on it's it's literally the spiritual successor to the concept in mario 64 so you know I love that game. I'm still playing the heck out of it. Um, and it is just incredibly long. It's incredibly gorgeous. And I can even excuse the rabbits. And there's definitely lots of fan service. Those of you, I won't give any spoilers, but those of you who have gotten there, um, you know, there are three main areas I can think of that immediately just go, <laughs> that evokes the Nintendo fan in in in, the, in, in their 30s, in their 40s. Um, and, uh, and and good for Nintendo for throwing those in there. But it didn't mean that, like, just because my daughter didn't know what that was doesn't mean she didn't enjoy watching it. And I think the one of the most striking things about Mario Odyssey is kids seem to be just drawn to watch people play that game. My daughter wasn't even that interested in playing it. She just wanted to watch me play it. So that was kind of cool. Um <clears throat> And again, let's see, I would be remiss. Xenoblade Chronicles 2 did come out. Um, Mario and Rabbids, which again, I wasn't huge on it, but there you go. Um, lots of people got their multi platform fix on the Switch. Some people are playing Doom. Some people are playing Skyrim. Some people are playing LA Noir. Yeah, you're probably going to have to put a big SD card in there because even the cartridges aren't big enough. But all in all, Nintendo had a great year. They're kind of setting. The stage for what I think first parties need to be doing with their games moving forward. And it doesn't look like they're going to slow down in 2018 either. Oh, Pokemon as well. Pokemon was kind of a big deal for Nintendo this year also. Kind of the biggest deal, actually. Um, But yeah, can't wait. Bayonetta's coming to the Switch. Which, again, I just want to say one thing. As a Wii U owner, uh, I didn't upgrade to the Switch version of most things. Zelda I did because when I bought my Switch, it came with Zelda. Like, I bought, like, a bundle deal. So, I forgot what I did. No, you know what it was? There was a huge amount that GameStop was giving, and I could actually sell my Wii U Zelda and buy from a guy at a local Craigslisting uh, the Switch version of Zelda and actually make 10 bucks in the transaction. So, yeah, I bought uh, Wii U Zelda. Or sorry, Switch, Zelda for 25 and then got 35 cash, actually, not store credit from GameStop. So that was interesting. Anyway, um, but otherwise, my Mario Kart 8 is still the Wii U version and I'm loving it. And it's fine and it honestly looks pretty much the same. Um, same thing with Bayonetta 1 and 2. I'm going to keep those on my Wii U version. I don't need them. But what I do like is that the people who miss them and the people who don't have Wii U's are going to get to experience these things. And I think that is what's most important. And you'll see as I go on in my discussions, that is always what I kind of find most important and why I I praise some of these games that aren't necessarily for me. Anyway, moving on. Japan had new light uh, in the limelight. So Japanese games are always liked by certain people, but Japanese development kind of has this uh, almost stereotype these days that they're behind the times and they still can't do anything quite as well as America. I think that's, uh, or as the West, let me rephrase that, not America, the West, because actually a lot of games aren't developed in America. and I think that's a little bit of egocentrism. I think we think that Western RPGs are the best because a lot of the gamers nowadays grew up with just Western RPGs where they reign supreme, whereas a lot of us in our 30s and 40s grew up where the JRPG reigned supreme, and it was just a formula we were more used to. Uh, I also think that just comes with the fact that, um, I don't know... Dare I say it, the West is a little xenophobic these days. That's not to say Japan's not xenophobic, but it's just becoming one of those things where it's not so fancy and interesting and, and surprising to get stuff from Japan, and there seems to be a pretty large disconnect between a lot of, um, you know, Western gamers and Japanese game design. That said, games that I never expected to be, like, still way up there Hit hard near. Uh, I'm gonna call it near automata because I recently heard Yokotaro say it that way, and uh, I found out that that's the the katakana way of say, pronouncing it. So, um, but anyway, near automata. Uh, people are loving it. People are going crazy for it. What is surprising is in hearing certain discussions about it. I haven't played it yet. I'm actually starting it tomorrow. I'm kind of excited. Um, but what is surprising me so much is having beaten near this year. The original near all of the endings, all four. Um, It's surprising how many things are in near automata that were also in near, but oddly enough, it wasn't okay in near, but it's now okay in near automata. Kind of just gives you a feel for the taste of things. What I will say is you got to know that that game's got multiple endings and you're going to have to replay areas. And it's going to be a little redundant, although it's a lot less so than near The original Nier, you literally replay the back third of that game three times and it does not change. There's a little bit of extra plot, but otherwise it does not change. Um, whereas I think this one switched it up a little bit. But I, much like the original game, if you're not going to go in there and play all the endings... Probably shouldn't experience that game at all, and that's from somebody who's never played it. But I think that's the the grand gesture that I'm learning about that. Anyway, moving on, uh, Persona Five, of course Persona, big deal. Um, <clears throat> it looked like the Danganronpa series, even though nothing new came out this year. People were buying it up. People were they were re-releasing the collections and stuff. People were going nuts over it. Um, Final Fantasy fifteen just keeps getting talked about, even though that was last year. Uh, Yakuza is definitely in the limelight right now and it's odd because zero is a is a prequel to one uh granted it came out this year and kiwami is a remake of one so it's it's interesting that uh they are going back to like the origins of the series um which reason i say it's interesting was uh they spent sega spent a lot of money on the original yakuza and when it came out in america it just kind of fell flat uh sorry in the west in general um pokemon's big but pokemon's always big i guess i'm just very surprised that pokemon still just commands the audience it does but good for pokemon and you know it's kind of a good year for um uh japanese fan service games as well uh lots of them came out and lots of people are buying those up although you know i don't know how much i really want to praise the the hentai uh, <laughs> interactive uh stories uh that are that are flooding steam but uh, anyway so, Japan really kind of hit back in the limelight. And, and that doesn't even include a lot of the Nintendo stuff that I was talking about earlier um, and various other games that I haven't mentioned. Um, I think NEO, I think Team Ninja is predominantly Japanese as well, if not solely. So, there's a lot of games that I missed here, but uh, I'm trying to move forward a little bit. And now it's time to get negative. There were a decent amount of disappointments in a year that was such a banner year for releases. Again, I'm not going to go over the list, but look at it. It's massive for 2017. Everything came out this year. And a lot of those things, disappointed. It's particularly rough on anything that was really a sequel. Um, But yeah, so some of my disappointments. Double Dragon 4. Well, odd. A Nintendo game sequel. Actually, there's multiple Nintendo game sequels this year. Can't believe that happened. But yeah, Double Dragon 4 wasn't great. Did I expect it to be great? No, but he's more disappointing than I expected. Uh, Mass Effect Andromeda, I mean, need I say more? That game, the in in the time, I'll actually get into a lot of the problems with Mass Effect Andromeda later. I haven't even played the game. But the big thing that y- you gotta know is everybody's telling you not to play it. Now, I'm going to take a step back and say, um, people like... Um, like Sean Fuller and a couple others were like, you know what? It was a fine Mass Effect game. That's why I definitely need to play it. I do own it. I definitely need to play it and see if it's a fine Mass Effect game. But I doubt it. And one thing I hate is that a bunch of cliffhangers were done at the end and they had planned to answer those cliffhangers with DLC. And it's never going to happen because that studio got repurposed elsewhere. And basically Bioware is just kind of floating right now. Although now that Casey Hudson's back on board, hopefully they'll hit the ground running with Anthem. But... um it was just a weird time where uh, Andromeda is going to be this this flash in the pan that uh, fell flat and never really uh, uh, got finished. Friday the thirteenth. Ugh, I I didn't feel great about that game going into it, but ugh 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 that game is so bad. First of all, the internet terrible, but we knew that, so people are just acting like shitheads. Um, people quitting when Jason's there this and that just terrible terrible stuff but you know what those same people play a lot of other games I don't have that complaint with and why because the developers put things in there that prevent that kind of stuff but not these developers nope and publisher gun media is not doing a whole lot about it gun media also took on a bunch of projects right around when Friday the 13th came out and even though they did a lot of updates It was too little too late a lot of the times. That game is still crashing now. And the game came out in like April. Um, It's not fun to play. It's a bad environment. It's not that good. It doesn't look that good. It spits in the face of all of my Friday the 13th fandom. Um, And I, I just feel like... You know what? This won't be the last time I'll say it. But it does feel like a game that was just like... Built with checkboxes in a boardroom and they'd figure out the, um, not even a boardroom, actually, in some back-end closet where they could get a bunch of financing, writing the coattails of the Friday 13th series and and shoplifting the uh, gameplay of uh, Dead by Daylight and Evolve. And then they kind of made this lackluster version of it. But people were so blind to it that they keep telling me that I need to play this game. It's funny. Some of the people who were strongest at, come on, man. You just got to play it with me. You got to see this game. You'll see what its value is. Yeah, but the same people aren't playing anymore. Um, this game fell flat. It was supposed to have a campaign. That never came to fruition. It, it was just it was just weak across the board. Friday the 13th is a bad game. And I'm really sorry I dropped money on it. Uh, Pray. I don't know what I expected from Prey, but it's not what I got. Um, and this was kind of disappointing because this was the year I realized that that whole studio, uh, they do Dishonored and Prey. Um, arcane I knew it would come to me. Sorry, Arcane Studios. I know they make good games, but they just don't make good games that I like. And so I'd say the biggest disappointing thing was that Arcane, who's making some of the strongest games today, don't like them. <laughs> don't know what that's what that's about. Um, Injustice 2. Didn't like it. It wasn't as good as Injustice 1. And a lot of the changes they made, including the weird loot box stuff that kind of tweaks the player but really doesn't fall flat. I don't know. I just didn't care for any of it. Injustice 2, disappointed. And I ended up renting it a couple of times and didn't buy it. That's rare for me, uh, especially with certain fighting games. Destiny 2. Destiny 2 came out and I keep telling myself, like, do I want to get on this train do I want to get on this hype train and now the destiny 2 community is like turning against people and it's end game is kind of like and people don't have a very positive look on it and I can't find anybody to play with you know chase and I were talking about it Uh, d chaser from uh, um, learn from gaming but like it yeah it's just it just fell flat now I have no desire to play the game at all that's weird considering destiny 1 wasn't as good had less content as far as i understand and more did more shitty things and yet people played it more hmm still feel bad i never really played much of destiny 1 played the first 10 hours of that game 3 times once in the alpha once in the beta and once in the retail release i never went back fortnite I'm gonna tether this with PUBG. Both of these games disappointed me. I'm sure these games are great when you have when you're like a Twitch streamer or Games Press or something where a bunch of people watch you play this incessantly boring game where you basically get dropped in and then you just wait and then um, after about 20 minutes of camping, you suddenly get like four minutes of action and then you're done. But like, I ain't got time for that. I, I have a family with kids and I. Wouldn't even really want to stream that kind of shit anyway. If I did, and so I don't understand this stuff. And it's so. Ad- and I feel like the reason Games Press is so addicted to it, and and streamers and stuff, is because it is an audience. Um, the 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 spectator sport of watching PUBG is undeniable. Although I'd say now that it's been out for a while, it's much better to just look at highlight reels that are like ten minutes long that show you like the greatest moments in a hundred hours of game. But all in all, these games failed to. Um, to interest me and uh, uh despite the fact that I was given uh review copies for both of these um and I thought maybe consoles would change uh PUBG I've heard consoles don't change that much and it's actually a rougher state so I've been scared away from it I've still got my sealed copy of PUBG sitting over there which is just digital code in a box but at least I can return it um for the Xbox one sitting over on my desk right now and uh I have no desire to go back to PUBG on PC Fortnite on the on the plus side, when Epic gave me the PC code, it also allows you to download and play for free on the PS4, and they share the same profile. PS4 didn't help me, and even my buddy Hefe, like who plays that game a lot, and he's real into it, I just wasn't. And and I'm not just talking about the King of the Kill mode. I'm also or the Battle Royale mode is what they call it. I'm also talking about just the the grind of, uh you know, Horde mode. Uh, I I, I just I don't think I want a game that's just that, and that's what Fortnite is. And the build mechanic is cool, but in order to make the most of the build mechanic, you really have to be playing on PC, and I don't play on PC. So, uh, again, I think these games have two things uh, going against them in in my world, is that they're predominantly PC games, and they're predominantly for streamers and people to watch them. Um, Since I don't particularly do either of those things, um, you know, makes it a problem. Uh, Let's see here uh, Lawbreakers wasn't great. Uh, I mean is Cliffy B doing the doing the unreal stuff the unreal tournament thing uh, with some new cool mechanics that game from a technical standpoint and what they did with the design was fantastic. But when no one plays it, it's no fun. And I was really bad at it. And I wasn't getting better. No matter how much I played it put about 10 hours into that game. And I got no better. And so it just wasn't a game for me, you know, but who knows? I play Titanfall every day and nobody plays Titanfall other than me and probably like the three dozen other people I'm constantly playing with. I'm starting to recognize screen names, which tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> and where am I playing Titanfall 2? Just in case people are wondering, Xbox One, Gamertag Spiders Venom hit me up. Life is Strange before the storm also disappointed. Ugh, I didn't like this game. Um... I, it would get into spoilers as to why, and I talked about it on B-Team already, but we'll just suffice to say, people went into it and said, you know what? This game shouldn't be good, and it is really good, and they are wrong. They took out all the gameplay elements of this game and instead just did a diatribe story that you know is forfeit if you know the, the, um, the, the things that happen in the sequel, and I'm just surprised that Deck Nine, I think it's Deck Nine who made it, went into this knowing that they're making a prequel to Don't Nod's original, and they don't put in more hooks or, uh, of characters that that aren't so drastically affected in the the first game. But you know, hey, to each their own. Either way, if you've heard Life is Strange before, The Storm is fantastic. It it doesn't hold a candle to its predecessor, uh, Agents of Mayhem. Eh, you know what were you supposed to take of it? It was the um, it was the, the the guys who did. You know, oh, why am I blanking on the Saints Row? And most of those people had left, and so it's the next thing the studio was going to make up that wasn't Saints Row. To be fair, I don't think Saints Row would have done any better. But Agents of Mayhem, uh, that game is really compelling for a while. I grabbed it on a uh, on a uh, Red Box sale. Uh, that game uh, for five bucks, and I'm I'm happy I did. Like uh, the rental was going to be three, so you know, whatever, two more bucks, and I own it. Um, game looks good I'll give it that the art design's good and there is some borderlands-esque appeal to it but it just gets very redundant and and you just find yourself fading away from it as time goes on um Dragon's Dogma. So that finally came out on consoles. I've been playing the PC version for a couple of years now, and it's fantastic. It looks good. Scales all the way up to 4K, 60 frames a second, buttery smooth. It's a superior version of everything uh, that was in the Xbox 360 PS3 game that I fell in love with way back and was my game of the year in like 20, what was it, 12, 13? Um, but the the Xbox One and PS4 releases are, are rough. They don't look good they only go up to 1080p which is a barely much of a scale from the from the 720p version of the 360 and believe it or not i think it's at the pc port but then locked down to 30 frames it's got like weird choppy animations and it doesn't look right and it's it's not smooth gosh if you guys were going to do that capcom just make it 1080 or 720p 60 and just give people something that runs smoothly i don't know the Dragon's Dogma Darker Arisen re-release on consoles was rough. If you got a PC, grab the PC version. Works fine with all controllers, including PS4 controllers. Just do that. But ugh, I don't know how I feel about that console version. I'd stray away, even if you're a fan of Dragon's Dogma. Just get the original or something. Uh, Shadow of War. I've been scared away from Shadow of War. Thanks to a, uh, a a price issue at Walmart and the Future Monkeys community letting me know about it. Managed to get the gold edition with all the stupid BS uh loot boxes, and, and, and it did have the DLC content, which I usually like, um, for 10 bucks And I've still never booted it up. People are scaring me so much. And that Giant Bomb Game of the Year discussion uh, in day one, like made it, for biggest disappointment, made me even less interested in it. Um, I think the biggest thing that concerns me is I, I don't mind things muddying up the waters of progression. A good example of that is Horizon. Like Horizon Zero Dawn, much like many other open world games this year, um, when you try to go from point A to point B without fast travel, you can have some random occurrence happen that really stifles your progress. And if somebody's watching you play, it's really boring and annoying. Um, And if you're playing it long enough for long enough stretches, it starts to get boring and annoying for you. But in the short run, um, it's, it's totally effective. Well, I've heard that the orcs are just tripping over each other to fight you in Shadow of War and that you can't progress nearly at all half the time because you're just busy with like orcs that are all but queuing up in a line to fight you and I I think that's a little overkill. Um, AC Origins I stayed away from because, again, the gist I'm getting from most people is people are saying, I didn't really care for much of the recent Assassin's Creed games, Syndicate was okay, but I didn't really like anything else, and this changes that formula. Well, friends, I did like (laughs) all of the games previously released, other than Unity, which I've honestly never played, but I do own. Um, And... That's not what I want. And then when people started getting into the nitty-gritty of it and leveling up and finding loot and gear and things like that, I was like, "Mm, this doesn't sound like what I want. And um, Vinny Caravella and a couple others in Games Press who are real big Assassin's Creed fans are talking about how the progression is not like other Assassin's Creed games and some of your most basic stuff like the Hidden Blade are gone. I'm sorry, those are series staples. And even if you get it back later... It's going to turn me off. So, yeah, I've stayed away from Assassin's Creed Origins. Um, and uh, Call of Duty World War II, people are liking that. I didn't like the multiplayer. I didn't much care for the campaign, even though it was balls crazy uh, for some of it. They really Bruckheimered it up, but we didn't have to return to World War II, and it's kind of like a remake of Call of Duty 3, basically. Um, Need for Speed Payback. Ugh. Get rid of most of the gameplay. Forget the plot, which it was hokey, but I like the plot of last year or two years ago's game. And uh, screw up Fast and the Furious and throw loot boxes in there, and you lose me. Battlefront 2, I think it's been done to death. But suffice to say, the progression system that had something to do with the loot boxes, but the loot boxes themselves don't make it. That progression system for multiplayer and the lackluster campaign come together to say, no way. It's too bad, too. That game looks dazzling. Um, And then Evil Within 2. A lot of people dug this new method. Made the game easier. Made it open world. Made it long. I didn't like any of those things. Well, made it long is not fair because Evil Within 1 was really long. But I I didn't too much like the open world nature of it. It was cool at first, but by the time you get to chapter 7 or 8, it gets a little long in the tooth. And I really fell off of that game hard. I also don't like some of the random spawns. I wanted to play that game on the original Evil Within's difficulty. And I had to drop it down. And then it felt a little too easy. So I don't think they found a good balance with that. And um, it's it's honestly almost nothing like the original game. And that's fair. I mean, from a sales standpoint, I think they had to go for something different. Because the original game didn't sell very well. But I don't think this game sold very well either. So it seems like to a certain extent, they didn't satisfy anybody because people who didn't like the first evil within might have liked this one more, but not enough to buy it. And people who liked the first evil within I've heard are to a large extent, not really appreciating this one. So I don't know. Maybe I'll get back to it. I I stopped around chapter eight. Maybe it's been long enough. It's been three or four months. Maybe I should go back to it. Probably do it after the ball gaggies or something after the game of the year stuff. But for now, Evil within two broke my heart all right moving on uh this is getting a little long so let me try to move a little quicker retro is in friends and i don't think there needs to be too many discussion points on this but retro is huge this year just to blow you away let's talk about what came out i think these almost speak for themselves so i'm not going to go too deep into it might make a little side comments but look at this list Disney's Afternoon Collection, Mega Man Collection. Mega Man, uh, I think, Collection 2 was this year. Um, Crash, Bandicoot, Insane Collection. Yakuza Kiwami, Remake of 1. Uh, Blaster Master Zero, a prequel slash sequel to the NES game. Double Dragon 4, same thing. Sequel to Double Dragon 3 on the NES. Thimbleweed Park, yes, a Ron Gilbert-developed point-and-click adventure in 2017. Voodoo Vince Remastered. Um, Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy remastered. Um, Mighty Gunvolt Burst. What they made Mighty Number no. Nine esque gameplay good. Wow. Um, 2064 Read Only Memories. Okay, I'm cheating a little bit. That came out in 2016, but the PS4 version came out in 2017. But that's a, a cyberpunk point and click esque adventure slash snatcher kind of game in 2017. Sonic Mania. Holy crap, a good Sonic game, and it was nothing but like a Greatest Hits version of all the Genesis games. Um, Samus Returns. Yes, they made a remake of the one of the more hated Game Boy games. Uh, Wonder Boy, The Dragon's Trap. America didn't even know this game, and now it's out and gorgeous, and everybody gets to experience it. Divinity Original Sin 2. I mean, I don't think that needs any introduction, but Baldur's Gate is still alive. Cuphead. Cuphead is old-school run-and-gun a la Contra, etc., any way you dice it. Star Fox 2, yes, friends, a super an actual Super Nintendo game got released in 2017. Ukulele, eh, I've heard mixed reviews on this game. I've not experienced it myself, but Banjo-Kazooie is back, basically, for better or worse. Final Fantasy XII, The Zodiac Age. Lots of people love Final Fantasy XII, and apparently this HD remake is great. OG Xbox games on the Xbox One rendered in 1080p. Sure, the list is small, but it's pretty good heavy hitters such as uh, Black and Ninja Gaiden Black and KOTOR, uh, Knights of the Old Republic, and, you know, uh, Crimson Skies, you know. I I was wrong. I thought that they were going to give Xbox Live functionality to these games. They didn't do that. But I have to say, when these games re render in 1080p, they look amazing. Um, Think of what Rare Replay did for Grabbed by the Ghoulies, and you get a good idea. Also, just in general, OG Xbox, or sorry, Xbox One has been a great place for um, just HD remasters of old retro games. Um, And the Xbox. 360 backward compatibility list just keeps growing to add more and more to that Xbox. There is no doubt about it. If you are a retro gamer, Xbox One has a hell of a digital library for you to jump into. Um, arcade Classics. Yeah, Hamster's going crazy, hitting it up on both the PS4 and the Switch. Like, just coming out left and right. And I think some of those are even hitting Steam. Could be wrong. Um... <clears throat> Bulletstorm Full Clip Edition and Duke Nukem, a Duke Nukem game, which is really just a remake of Duke Nukem 3D, came out in 2017 and had a fifth chapter that was recreated by some of the original level designers. Crazy. You can get it for five bucks right now. You might want to think about it. And Bulletstorm Full Clip Edition didn't buy the full clip edition and i know they made some mild improvements but all in all it's just kind of like a 4k hd remaster or whatever um and the game wasn't hd so it didn't really matter but what i do like about it is if people are picking it up and especially right now it's on the cheap in a lot of different places i think it's on the steam sale i know it's on the steam sale and i know it's on the xbox countdown sale uh both for like 13 bucks i think it's also like 13 bucks or 14 bucks on the playstation uh holiday sale week three um People can experience this game. If you never played Bullet Storm, like for 13-14 for bucks, that game is well worth it. That is a great 10-hour game that does some crazy stuff with being inventive on how you kill people. I highly recommend it. Now you can grab that full clip edition with Duke Nukem in the campaign. Yeah, baby. I don't know how I feel about all of that. But if more people play Bullet Storm, that's a good thing. Night Trap. Okay in hindsight maybe i was a little too nice to night trap when it first came out especially because a lot of the issues that i had with uh night trap uh 25th anniversary edition have not been reconciled and i'm sorry uh i think it's tyler from screaming villains like i was a great interview and i'm pleased that you brought this out and night trap was kind of brought to the masses um for 15 bucks but at the same time that that release is kind of a disappointment and I really wish you could fix some of the egregious errors like the uncapturable augs and uh the fact that streams can break uh on the new 2017 edition which is your new version I really think your your video quality was not up to snuff and maybe that's just a limitation but then the project probably was best suited for mobile um surprised did that even come out on mobile I don't think it did and there might be rights issues there always is but anyway um In hindsight, I don't know. Like, if you haven't picked it up yet, probably don't need to. Uh, And I hate to say it, but I'm back to playing the 3DO version. (laughs) But anyway, Night Trap came out. Wipeout Omega Collection. Oh my gosh. Like some of the most gorgeous games in the world, coming out 1080p60. Looks amazing on the Pro when you get it up to 4K. And now it's getting VR as a free patch. The Wipeout Omega Collection is an amazing uh, blast from the Past. Bubsy came out. It sucked. Stay away from it, but whatever. Retro. The Hack.gu um, Last Recode also came out, which is the .dot .hack games that are kind of rare and hard to find on the PS2. All in the whole trilogy is... And, and I think there's a fourth game. Anyway, all of those games on the PS2 that are super expensive now, you can get all of them together for between like 40 and 50 bucks on either Steam or PS4. Like, that's a cool thing and um i'm sure there's a bunch of stuff i'm also missing but like look at that list gosh guys retro is in and it's better than ever it's a hell of a time to be a retro gamer um i looked at a lot of these games i intend to look at a lot more also jams probably in the back like talk about turok okay they came out kind of last year on PC, but yes, the Turok games also hit Xbox One, as far as I understand, um, and it is the N64 games brought on there. But Xbox One has done a really good job at taking a uh, re-rendering N64 games to look awesome. Uh, if you've never seen it, check out the N64 games in the Rare Replay collection. Um, <clears throat> moving on, it looks like VR is starting to get out. The price drop. VR is now more affordable than ever. You can get a PlayStation uh, VR headset right now for $200. You can get the bundle. uh, And I think actually that is the bundle with the move controllers. If you need the whole like... Main bundle, I think it's 250 And if you want the newer stuff, it's like 300 or 350 or something. And that comes with, you know, two move controllers, the VR headset, the camera, and some games. Like, that's awesome. They're starting to give out VR on PlayStation Plus. VR games on PlayStation are cheaper than ever. And they're doing them as free patches for most of the games, which is not the case for other people. Um, Resident Evil 4, free VR patch. Wipeout Omega, free VR patch. And there's plenty of other games that are like that. Additionally, the Vive and the Oculus are down to $400, and if you find them on good sales, you can get them for $300 or less. Um, There's more VR games coming out than ever. Star Trek Bridge Crew is apparently really cool, and it now doesn't even need VR to run. And uh, that game came out, and a lot of people liked it. A lot of people seem to like Psychonauts, Rhombus of Ruin. Rock Band VR came out. I don't even know if that's any good because no one talked about it. Uh, So probably not. And then Bethesda stuff comes out, which... Games Press says it sucks. Fans say it's great. I do think there's a little bit of rose-covered glasses going on with people who bought VR headsets because they're not ready to kind of embrace what it really is. That being said, <clears throat> if you want it, you can play a version of Doom in VR. You can play Skyrim and Fallout 4 completely in VR. Um, but I think it's on the way out. Like, I don't think VR is going anywhere. It will just maintain. But I don't think it's going to catch on as a mainstream gaming platform. VR will catch on in the grand scheme, but I think AR is the place for games. I think VR is going to be just kind of like a lost cause in the gaming space. Uh, Next up, surprises. I was pleasantly surprised by a lot of games in 2017. First and foremost being Resident Evil 7, but I think I've gone way enough into that. But Horizon Zero Dawn, I'm just now playing it, and I am... Loving that! Uh, I I am almost at the end of the game. I've done. I've, ca- I've found all the tchotchkes, The map's all set up. Um, I really am impressed with Horizon Zero Dawn, and really enjoying how fun it is to just take out um, these behemoths. These uh, kind of dino writers brought to life. That's an 80s cartoon reference if you've never heard of it. Um, but I like just fighting dinosaurs and, and these big mechanical creatures just because. And it's got this like cyberpunky vibe and whatnot. And then there's other stuff which I could get into, but it gets into plot. Um, I think... Uh, th- from what I think is going to happen at the end here, I'm kind of leading up to it. I think it's going to stick the landing. Um, oddly enough, though, I feel like that game, uh, I'm coming up on 40 hours with it. I think I'm I'm just done with it. Uh, Swarren said some really good things on the B-Team about the DLC pack. And it's only, it's 20 bucks normally. It's only 15 right now. But I just, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to take the plunge. And I think that's okay. There's certain things that I'm just... Not going to take the plunge with and that might be it and everybody's like well if you don't play it now you're not going to get to well that's horizon's problem that's not my problem um but all in all the vanilla horizon really enjoying um near automata uh, i can't say like i'm surprised with what people are saying about it i was more impressed by near which made me interested in near automata but the reason i say i'm surprised is because a bunch of other people unlike a handful of people are playing enjoying and appreciating near automata which is counter to near. Um, and I think since I played near and really enjoyed that, there you go. Uh, what remains of Edith Finch? Well, I take issue with whether or not that's a game. That is something to be experienced. It's on sale right now. It's on all three platforms, PC, PS4, Xbox one. You might want to consider that for those that like the walking sim, this will affect you. And in a worthwhile way, uh, it's damn good. Storytelling told in three hours. um, Outlast 2, oh, Outlast 1 never really quite held my attention. I keep trying to grind through that game. I'm always about three hours in and I get really annoyed with some of the gameplay mechanics. Outlast 2 just kind of nailed most of what I loved and it was scary and it was striking and it was tough and it was grotesque and... I if you go look at my Outlast 2 review, like there was a I had like three dozen screenshots and just picked the ones that seemed the least spoilerish without too much striking stuff. But that game's up there with Resident Evil with some of the most effed up things you will ever see. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Next up, uh, Tekken 7. Tekken 7's a really good game. I've just been playing it on the side on Steam, but like I've been having fun with it. I can't go online with it. I just like having some fun with it on the side. But that game looks and plays great. Um, Splatoon 2, I'm not surprised by it, but I'm very surprised with how much people love it. Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice. Wow. This kind of nails it on all fronts. It's only $30 as its retail price. It is a full-fledged, story-based game with amazing graphics, incredible captures, and... Um, manages the balance between gameplay and storytelling. Now, I know not everybody will agree with me on it on this, but that's definitely how I feel. So, Hellblade was impressive. Mario and Rabbids. Like, was that game going to be any good? Mario and Rabbids and Ubisoft doing XCOM, but they kind of nailed it. Uh, that game surprised me. Even though I fell off of it pretty heavy after um, World 3, um, I like what I played with it, and I'm pleased I played it, and I'm glad it's there. Hob. Wow. Hob is the closest thing you'll get to the original experience of playing Legend of Zelda on the NES in 1986 today. And it really sucks that it was the Swan Song for Runic Games, that they just did that and then closed immediately afterwards. And again, that was a publishing deal. That wasn't really for them. But um, you will be missed, Runic. You guys are great. Full disclosure, we were kind of friends with them, but not. I was, you know, the B team was. But they just—I mean—I went out there and 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 hung out at the studio and things like that. I don't think it's any different than you know any other games press would have done. Um, but uh, Runic was a great team. I loved every game they made, including Hob. And uh, it, it just sucks that they they won't be in their current shape, be making games anymore. Um, but congrats, Hob was an achievement. And you should be proud. Sonic Mania, kind of already gotten into it, but. Hell yeah, a good Sonic game that reminds me, it even got me to go back and play Sonic 3 on the Genesis recently. Um, And Knack 2, finally. People always waiting for Knack 1 to be free. Well, I don't think that's ever going to happen, but whatever. Knack 1 wasn't that great of a game. Knack 2, I've played through the first half of that game. That game is really solid. That game surprises me with how good it is. And... I fell off of it because I had to get to game of the year stuff, but I intend to go back and finish an act two very soon. That game surprises me. If only because you can find it 20 bucks in every store, 10 bucks in every red box. And it's really solid. All right. Now we're getting ready to wrap up a uh, couple of small things. Uh, EA ruins games. Yep. That's right. EA ruined mass effect Andromeda. Uh, it wasn't that good. It definitely doesn't live up to the lineage of its games. It, Tarnishes Bioware, it was flooded with management issues, which we now know about. Uh, Jason Schreier, I think, did the, the write-up on that. Um, reading some of those stories just makes you cringe as to how shitty it is. The game's not even complete. And then the DLC that was going to help like clean that up doesn't exist. Um, that game is just a mess through and through. And if you need any greater proof of that, it's that at the end of the summer, it became part of the EA access program. So all you got to do is pay five bucks a month or 25 bucks a year and boom, you can play Mass Effect Andromeda. Ugh, you guys ruined Mass Effect and it probably won't see any more sequels. I doubt it. Um... Next up, Battlefront 2. Same thing. You took out the stuff people liked that actually made it mainstream, like finding heroes on the ground and stuff like that. And then you made it a free-to-play game and then you borked everything else. Like, ugh. Why? Why, man? You close Visceral Games and then you don't give them an opportunity to make what would have probably been a decent campaign instead of putting the Battlefield people on there who haven't made a decent campaign in ever. And then you ruin the loot, you use loot boxes to make it like a free-to-play mobile game and you charge for it and it's pay to win and you don't care about that and then you make a borked progression system so you can't dial it back and then you make it really hard to enjoy the things you are unlocking. Stay away from that game. It's dog shit. Need for speed. I here's the reason it's big for me and why I think EA screws the pooch on this need for speed is a franchise. I have enjoyed since basically ever, like I've definitely been a hardcore need for speed fan since underground uh, on PS2. And I've liked every game that's come out for that franchise, even though some are weaker than others, much like Assassin's Creed. It's just a consistency thing. And I've enjoyed each game. Uh, a decent amount through that I would play through the campaign of all of them. And I had a lot of fun. I liked Rivals. I don't care what you guys say, and I don't care if they're long load times. I liked 2015's game. I did. I thought the uh, full motion video scenes was kind of stupid and hokey, but it harkened back to a time I really appreciated. And I thought that game, the game itself was pretty damn good. And the rubber banding was a little broken, but they patched it later and fixed that. And they also... Fixed a couple of the uh, stuttering issues and whatnot. And now if you play that 2015 game now, it is a pretty rock solid thing. If you hate the cutscenes so much, just press start and get through them. It's fun to drive in that game. Um, And then last, they canceled the Star Wars game. Who knows what was made of most of those people. Jade Raymond's still around, but we don't even know where Amy Hennig is. She's off in limbo after getting screwed over by two studios now. I don't know. EA, you're doing a lot wrong. And uh, you have a lot to get right. And I don't know if you're going to fix it. And I hate to say this, but Anthem doesn't look like the answer I'm looking for. And uh, your loot boxes are fucking everything up. But it's not just the loot boxes. They're just like the the, the whipped cream on top of this massive shit Sunday they've made. Next up this is me kind of bickering a little bit. So, or like being an old man, but apparently games gamers or games press or both want games that aren't really games. The reason I bring this up is because I'm seeing a lot of praise for games that aren't really games. People are talking about what remains of Edith Finch, which isn't really a game. Neither is observer Tacoma night in the woods. Life is strange before the storm. Doki Doki literature club. Like I, I, Played some of these games and really liked some of them but these games are getting like brought up on countless game of the year discussions countless story points and countless various other things and I have to say like these aren't really games I mean these are less of walking simulators than previous walking simulators were like is it possible that Tacoma is less of a game than Gone Home I think so I think that's true and it's, it's a really bad thing because games, video games are a medium and you need to be well suited to it. We say this constantly when using other arts, but we don't say this enough with video games. Video games shouldn't be emulating movies or books. They're not entirely effective at that. And I feel like that's what these things do, right? What Remains of Edith Finch would be a hell of a book. In fact, it might even be a book. Tacoma would be a better movie. It'd be an artsy movie, but it would be a better movie. And so I'm getting kind of sick of the the high prices these things are grabbing to be like basically a place where the zeitgeist can experience media that they can't focus on, right? Like here's me being kind of cynical. The average millennial doesn't want to sit down and read a book, even in a digital form. So What Remains of Edith Finch would just get lost in the mix because – very few book readers are really out there as much. And there's so much content that people don't want to do it. But make it into a video game and boom, look at that. It's it's easier, right? Because it's a much smaller bar to cross. Same thing with Tacoma. I hate to say it, but while I thought Firewatch was okay and I'm intrigued to see what Campo Santo does next, they're not making games. They're just making, at best, interactive storybooks. and Maybe that's what people want. I don't know. This is where... You know, and and again, Life is Strange Before the Storm. They took out all the gameplay elements and left you with a choose-your-own-adventure book, and a bad one at that, because I don't think most of the decisions you make changes anything. It makes me wonder. Now, there's room for those games and everything. Uh, They can exist, and you can play them if you want, but like, take a step back and go, is this what I want the future to be? Video games that aren't video games? I don't know. I think there needs to be a gameplay element to some of this stuff. Um even to a certain extent Prey and Wolfenstein. You know what people love about Prey? Not the gameplay. You know what people love about Wolfenstein 2: The New Colossus? Apparently not the gameplay. I disagree. I think both of those games actually have decent gameplay. But you know what? The people who are really harping on how amazing those games are typically don't really care for the gameplay. They just want their storybook. Well, you know what? Watch the YouTube supercut of all the cutscenes then. I'm sure it's out there. All right, now to close, to finish on a positive note. It's been a pretty decent journey. We're already at, what, uh, 72 minutes-ish? Um, and now it's time to wrap up let's get positive let's take a look back and let's talk about what I think is probably one of the most exciting things which is consoles are starting to take back market share now it's not to say that I think PC gamers need to fall to the wayside or that PC gamers don't have a solution in fact PC gamers it's just life as usual you just keep your PC rig and you keep buying PC games and you'll be fine. But with 4K TVs being popular, with the implementation of HDR, with these new free patches breathing life into old games, and with the Xbox One X definitely being a powerhouse that rivals my 1070, you know, i5 um, gaming PC, and the PlayStation 4 Pro doing some impressive stuff with checkerboarding and whatnot. It blows me away how many times, uh, you know, I prefer to play games on consoles, but I did them on PC because they were so cheap. They looked looked and ran so much better and did all that stuff. Well, that's always indicative of the beginning of a console cycle. And it took a long time and sadly half steps to these consoles. I don't really like the fact that these consoles were half stepped. It just tells me they came out of the oven too early. But at the same time, we dragged the PS3 360 generation we generation way too long, but anyway, that's why you had to have these half steps. But in the state we're in now, with you know gaming PCs plus Pro plus Xbox One X, if you pick one of these, they're kind of similar enough. They look well enough together. And they run well enough together that, for the most part, you're still safe. Granted, yeah, sure, indies run a lot better on PC. I tend to grab all my indies still there, like Edith Finch and whatnot, um, or on Switch. So, I'm completely ignoring that for most of the console games. But, at the end of the day, you know what? Deus Ex... Ran kind of shitty on my on my PC and I kept tweaking all the settings but it just wasn't optimized very well. Now it's about to be free on PlayStation Plus. I think I'm going to play through it on PlayStation 4. And why not? It's got HDR, which HDR is sadly absent from almost every PC game. I'm so shocked that never came in. I don't care about the arguments. What I can't get over is that yes, games are working smarter or consoles are working smarter not harder. A $500 Xbox One X is rivaling my it cost $1,000 to build now. It was $1,500 back in the day, my 1070 gaming PC. And it's running Rise of the Tomb Raider in HDR, which my gaming PC can't run in HDR, not because it's not strong enough, but because they just didn't develop for it. And it's running at the same resolution and frame rate. All of a sudden, like, that's been like the deal. And you know what? I'm going to say it. 1080p to 4K isn't a massive jump, but it's definitely a visual jump. HDR is much more dynamic. And more importantly, and here's the the end of this diatribe, when you do that in between that 1440p, if you have a 2K or 1440p monitor on PC, sure, that's notable, especially with higher frame rates. That's where PC gaming really is. But that's not what I've ever wanted to do. I've wanted the console experience on a PC, which is probably why it was never a good idea to have it. But for three years, it served me very well. Um, I wanted something that would run at 60 frames per second on a 4K TV in the best resolution I can. And you know what? The consoles are doing it better now than the PC. And I think the straw that really broke the camel's back and convinced me of this was when I just bought The Witcher 3 again. Not only because I want to play through it, but I bought it this time on Xbox One X because it runs at 60 frames a second, locked at 1080p, which <clears throat> is exactly how I played it on my PC. Because if I went any higher, if I went to 4K, I could only get 30 frames a second, which is exactly what I get on um, my Xbox One X, but it's also got HDR. And if you're going to go experience a beautiful, dazzling game for over 100 hours again, you may as well get a little HDR in the mix. So yeah, I found myself moving uh, most multi-platform games, even though they're more expensive and everything, found myself picking a lot of those up on uh, Xbox One X or PS4 Pro instead of con- uh, instead of uh, PC, again, despite all the other benefits of PC. And so I got to say, it's really starting to come back. And then Switch is its own world out there where it's getting some of the stuff and it's also doing its own thing. And so, yeah, it's, it's a pretty solid time to be a console gamer. And while I don't think there's a whole lot of justification for having both a PlayStation and an Xbox, if you have one plus a Switch... You're doing pretty good. Hold on, I've got a, a visitor. Dogs beating in the house. It's gonna happen. Anyway. Back to wrapping up. Um, but all of this all of this saying it and reflecting back on it just makes me say this. It is a great time to be gaming and 2017 is going to go down in history as one of the strongest years of video game releases. For better, for worse, whatever. One thing's for sure, no matter what you play and no matter where you play it, you have plenty of games to play. And as I said, PC gamers get to keep on keeping on without the need to upgrade and getting most of the releases that are on console. Xbox and PS4 players have almost console parity. Sure, there are some exclusives here and there. And sure, they're okay. But, um, you know, some stronger than others. And I think there is a good argument to be made that Sony's cranking out better exclusives. But in the grand scheme, if you have an Xbox or a PS4, you've got a majority of the games coming out and definitely enough to keep you satisfied for years to come, no matter what you've got. And then the Switch, same thing. So it doesn't matter where you're playing. You're good to go. 3DS, you might want to watch out, but I bet there's a ton in that back catalog you haven't touched. Anyway, with that, we're going to wrap up. But hope you enjoyed your 2017 review. If you want to hit us up, contact the gaminghistory101.com. Share some stuff with us. You know, we'll see. Don't know when the next podcast or whatnot is going to come out, but I definitely got some videos coming. So stay tuned for that. As soon as I get that FrameMeister up and running and the capture card, which should be near the end of January, I'm hitting the ground running on Cron CD. And in the interim, you should see more videos hitting soon. Also, if you have any tech questions, retro, modern, whatever, start sending them my way. And if you can, either go to GamingHistory101.com forward slash contact or email at contact at GamingHistory101.com. And in the subject line, if you could, just say Gaming Tech Question colon and then give your your subject or just use that as your subject. I don't care either way. But I'm starting to collaborate those together for a a new project. So anyway, with that, uh, this is Fred. Oh, and don't forget the ball gaggies coming up in... Three weeks will be the B-Team Ball Gaggies. Obviously, you can find it at the B-Team Podcast on your podcast feeds or the bteampodcast.com. You can hear mine and all my wonderful co-hosts talking about the games we appreciated in several categories plus our top 10 lists in one massive two to three, sometimes four-hour podcast. Anyway, with that, this has been 2017 in Review. Hope everybody has a happy new year or had a happy new year if you're listening to this after this releases or after the new year. And in the meantime, it's Fred saying peace. Out.